You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Google patches a Chrome Zero Day, ransomware attacks against infrastructure, Doppelpamer prepares to dox its victims, how CISA and NSA cooperate, Dallas County, Iowa finally drops charges against pen testers, Mr. Assange's evolving defense against extradition to the U.S., notes on RSAC 2020, and if you were a superhero, which superhero would you be? Coming to you from the 2020 RSA Conference in San Francisco, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Wednesday, February 26, 2020. Google has patched a Chrome Zero Day that's undergoing active exploitation in the wild. Mountain View isn't saying much about how, where, or by whom the vulnerability is being exploited. It's CVE 2020-6418. In fact, Google's not really saying anything at all, confining itself to this terse observation. Google is aware of the reports that an exploit for CVE 2020-6418 exists in the wild. The zero day is a type confusion issue, one in which an app initiates data execution of a certain type of input, but is subsequently fooled into treating the input as a different type. Exploitation could give an attacker the ability to run malicious code within an application. Two other non-zero days are also fixed in the update. Users are advised by multiple experts to patch. Energy Wire says the Coast Guard has confirmed that the ransomware attack against a natural gas facility, CISA warned of, on February 18th was in fact the same incident the U.S. Coast Guard reported in a December Maritime Safety Information Bulletin. Dragos offered the same evaluation last week. FireEye notes the ways in which industrial systems have become increasingly attractive targets for ransomware operators. The extortionists are now frying bigger fish than Heartland school districts. Concerns about ransomware are high on the list for those charged with defensive infrastructure. As FCW reports, CIA Director Krebs observed this week at RSA. As if to give point to those concerns, a small electrical utility in Massachusetts, the Reading Municipal Light Department, has disclosed that it sustained a ransomware attack last Friday. Another big trend in ransomware is stealing files in addition to simply encrypting them. Bleeping Computer notes that the operators of Doppelpamer ransomware 
have now adopted the increasingly common tactic of adding doxing to the traditional threat of data loss. Doppelpamer has established a site where it will post private files stolen from victims who decline to pay their ransom. An RSAC panel hosted by CyberScoop featured the directors of two major U.S. agencies, NSA's Cybersecurity Directorate, led by Ann Neuberger, and the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Directorate, led by Christopher Krebs. The organizations see their roles and missions as complementary and offering a good scope for collaboration. Work against the Russian influence operations and other information operations that targeted the 2016 elections and that have since continued spurred more effective information sharing. And Microsoft's January patches provided an important opportunity for the two agencies to reach out to the public on an urgent matter of online security. Dallas County, Iowa has ended its bungling and discreditable treatment of two coal fire penetration testers, dropping all felony burglary and criminal trespass charges against them, InfoSecurity magazine reports. In another legal case, the extradition hearing in the matter of Mr. Julian Assange continues at Woolwich Crown Court. Reuters reports that barristers working on behalf of the WikiLeaks proprietor branded U.S. allegations that Mr. Assange helped the then-U.S. Army Specialist Bradley Manning hack into classified systems as lies, lies, and more lies, a position that the American prosecutors, of course, are unwilling to accept. Mr. Assange's counsel also took on another central U.S. contention, that WikiLeaks' publication of material then-specialist Manning stole put lives at risk. On the contrary, argued lawyer Mark Summers, when Mr. Assange learned that unredacted copies of the material he'd received and prepared to share with various media were about to become public, he tried to warn U.S. authorities, calling the State Department and asking to speak with then-Secretary Hillary Clinton to warn her that lives were on the line and that something needed to be done. She didn't take his call, Mr. Assange's defense team said, and no one got back to him in the promised couple of hours. Keith Malarski held leadership positions with the cybersecurity team in the Pittsburgh office of the FBI, and under his team's watch, several high-profile criminals and organizations were brought to justice. These days, Keith Malarski is with the team at EY. He stopped by our booth at RSA to share his insights. I had spent 20 years at the FBI, and you know, at that time, you're eligible to retire. Uh, just a great opportunity to kind of still continue fighting the fight, mm -hmm. uh, but just from the other side, our Ernst & Young gave me just a great opportunity to come and be a leader in their cyber practice and continue doing threat intelligence and incident response and being able to help clients just from the other side. Uh, so, so it's been a great transition. Well, what sort of insights have you gained from being on the other side? Has it given you a, a fresh perspective from what you had before? Um, I think one of the things was the state of cybersecurity is a lot worse than I thought, uh, huh. you know, being, uh, being on this side. I thought it was a little bit better. Um, the, the other thing is just it's all about defense. Uh, you know, where, whereas when I was in the FBI, you know, it was you're doing offensive, defensive and investigations. So so it is a little bit of a, a, a of a different beast, but, but fun nonetheless. So in terms of the things you, you have your eye on these days, uh, particularly when it comes to ransomware, uh, what are you and your colleagues at Ernst & Young focused on? So I, when I look at ransomware, I really look at that as uh, probably the biggest cyber criminal threat affecting companies today. Hmm. Um, you know, in the past, you know, you had uh, different banking Trojans and they were doing account takeovers. Over the last five, six years, the banks have gotten really good at 
stopping uh, wire big wire transfers going out. Mm -hmm. uh, so these organized crime groups, it's not profitable to do those big wire transfers because they're just not as successful. But they're leveraging that, that access that they had now to do what we're calling enterprise hunting ransomware or big hmm. game hunting ransomware. I'm curious too, I mean, from your point of view, I know the, the line uh, from the FBI forever has been, don't pay the ransom. Right. Uh, now that you're on the other side, has your, are, are you still believe that's the way to go? Well, yeah, I mean, I believe that you shouldn't pay the ransom because that's just giving money to a criminal organization. Right. And, and I believe that if you have really good cyber hygiene and security practices put in place, uh, that you could prevent the majority of these attacks. Uh, and uh, so you shouldn't even be in a position to have to pay these ransoms. So, you know, what you really want to kind of do with these, with these groups is uh, kind of put together a playbook uh, because they all do follow a pattern. Uh, and once you, once you know their playbook, uh, you can build defenses around that. Yeah. Everybody has a limited budget, right? Mm -hmm. And they have to allocate the, the various things that, you know, dial in the percentages to, to, to various things. What's your tips for folks who have ransomware front of mind? Mm -hmm. How should they be approaching that from a practical point of view? Well, I, th I think you have to use intelligence to really drive your business practice. Uh, you really need to understand where your crown jewels are. You need to be able to uh, know where your risks are and make a business decision based on a risk. You know, are, can you be 100% uh, secure? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. um, but you need to manage, uh, you know, your risk to a level where, where you're comfortable that, hey, my spend is at this right level to lower my risk to this level, and that's acceptable, uh, you know, for that. And, and, and that's, that's what you have to do. And the only way to do that is really to have good intelligence on where your crown jewels are and also, uh, you know, the techniques and tactics used by the threat actors out there. Well, what are you tracking in terms of uh, evolution in these ransomware groups, how they're coming at people? What, what are the trends there? You know, so one of the biggest trends that we're seeing lately is because, uh, you know, people are, don't want to pay the ransom or they're restoring from backups. Uh, you know, what we're seeing then uh, is now a couple of the, the groups. I just saw Doppelpamer, uh, Maze is another group right now, where since they're in your network for 30 to 45 days, they're stealing documents. And now they're saying, if you don't pay the ransom, now we're going to post your your confidential documents. So, so we're seeing a trend to, for them to try to really make sure that they get that money, you know, from you. Turn up the heat. Turn up the heat. Yeah. <laughs> That's Keith Malarski from EY. To return to RSAC 2020, what's our sense of the conference this year? We will say that the event is well attended, despite the last-minute high-profile cancellations announced last week. It is perhaps a bit more subdued than we've seen in previous years. Some of the sense of reserve is no doubt due to concerns about COVID-19, the coronavirus strain that prompted those 11th-hour withdrawals. Hand sanitizer stations are much in evidence and people seem less apt to shake hands. More generally, and with respect to the business of cybersecurity, we're getting a vibe that people see small businesses, the mom and pops, as underserved by the sector. Finally, inspired by Cisco's launch of its SecureX platform at RSAC, and especially by the news that SecureX's internal name had been Thanos, MarketWatch wonders what superheroes exemplify the spirit of various cybersecurity companies. Technically, Thanos is a supervillain, but we'll leave that aside. They confined themselves to the Marvel Universe, so DC superheroes need not apply. Iron Man was the superhero most companies chose as their muse and role model, followed by Captains America and Marvel, with Sue Storm, Vision, 
Shuri, Doctor Strange, and Ant-Man, the Hank Pym version, thank you very much, also crossing the finish line. To our industry's shame, not a one of them chose Dr. Charles Xavier, the Silver Surfer, an obvious choice one would think for any browser security vendor, or the Ancient One. Sad. Market Watch had some suggestions for the various companies they talked to, and their suggestions struck us as better than the company's preferred superheroes. Again, sad. For our part, we call J. Jonah Jameson. He's what you call high energy. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, great to have you join us here at RSA 2020. It is great to be here. Hopefully we're <laughs> coronavirus free. I know, I know. Everybody's uh, fist bumping and rubbing elbows instead <laughs> yes, of shaking hands. And exactly. there's lots of uh, hand sanitizer being distributed just about everywhere. Um, you've had a little bit of time to walk around and take in uh, some of the sites to see. What's your sense so far on this year's uh, RSA conference? Well, my sense so far is it's, it is, there are so many vendors out there. Yeah. You have Moscone North, which is several football field size <laughs> full of vendors. Then you've got the tunnel between the two. It has a lot of startups, smaller booths. Right. And then you have Moscone South, which is, again, the same footprint as Moscone North, several football fields of, of vendors. Right. And uh, we're seeing a few common themes. The first theme is that it seems that there is a lot of technical solutions looking for business problems. Oh. So there are so many vendors out there. And, and I often wonder if I was a CISO or part of the C-suite of a, heck, even a small, medium-sized business, let alone a G2000 company, it is absolutely overwhelming all of the blitz of vendors. There are, 
intelligence vendors. Everything is intelligence-led or intelligence-embedded. Right. There are platform plays, and everyone says they have a platform. Even if you have a little point solution, it's better to call right. it a platform. Right. That's like yeah, years ago, uh, it, it was not just a product, it's a solution. Exactly. Now it's a platform. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, I, you know, there's, uh, there's all of the normal cast of characters that you would expect, all of the big vendors out there, like the FireEye, the Cisco's, the Gigamon's, the Palo Alto's, they're all out there. Yeah. And uh, then you've got your medium and, and, and smaller uh, players out there. There's, there's an equal mix of cloud and threat detection, endpoint, network. But we're also seeing a resurgence of identity and access management solutions and, and privileged access monitoring, monitoring. So I think that's hmm. really... Uh, that's really picking up, and less and less on the GRC side, and, and less on regulation. And, and what do you think is driving those trends? Well, I think uh, just like we put out in our cost of cybercrime report a few weeks ago, the number of incidents and number of breaches are going up, and the average cost of breaches are also going up. Uh, we've been tracking it with the Ponemon Institute for the last five years. And it has gone up 72%, 72% in the average cost of a breach. Uh, and just in this last year alone, it's gone up 13.7%. So breach, there are more breaches happening, clearly, and, right. and they are costing uh, a lot more. So we're seeing a lot more vendors out there. But I do believe this is probably, I think we're nearing uh, the, the end of the line here. I think the bubble <laughs> is about to burst <laughs> well, on, on these companies. Just earlier this week, I was, I was talking to someone who is a, a, a VC funder. And she was saying that, uh, that there's so many of these companies where it seems as though um, they don't have a, so much of a product as they have a feature. Right. You know, something that would be nice to add to the things that we already have, but it probably can't stand on its own. Um, I, I wonder how much is this a result of uh, there's so much money in the sector right now that um, maybe it's not hard to, to get someone to... Uh, to put a little, you know, juice behind you when you're getting started up, enough to come here and show your wares at RSA. Yeah, I think that uh, there are a lot of point solutions and add-ons out there, but I think the market for those types of organizations with their products is it may be dwindling because if you put yourself in the, in the in the mind or in the shoes of a CISO. Uh, he or she grapples every day with a, a, a very large technology stack. It's really hard to continue to add little point solutions on. And every time you buy a piece of software, there's the time invested in procurement and doing the contracts. Then you've got to install and configure it. Then you've got to maintain it and monitor it. So it, it, it becomes quite difficult to keep up with all of them. What's your strategy for a show like this in terms of, of takeaways, of, of get, getting out there? You know, what are the things that you want to, uh, to learn from a big show like this? Well, I'm out here primarily to talk to you, Dave. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> and, <laughs> a little pandering there. Yes. Uh, so I'm out here uh, to, to talk about our services and what we're seeing in the market. I'm also sure. here to talk to our biggest clients and customers. Absolutely. And I think the tertiary goal is to really walk the floor and look for those nuggets, those, those diamonds in the rough. Because I, I'm, I know I'm not going to find the diamonds in the rough in, in the big halls. Really, yeah. it's, uh, it's going through investment alley, the startup alley with all these little vendors, and you'll find one or two of these that perhaps make good uh, acquisition targets or good uh, partners or, or allies in the fight. And, and being able to uh, find these innovative solutions 
uh, is really uh, core to our business. Mm. All right. Well, as always, Justin Harvey, thanks for uh, taking the time out of a busy show to come visit us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.